Radhika Jones, editor-in-chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. Hear my words and bear witness to my vow. Night gathers and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children. I shall wear no crowns and win no glory. I shall live and die at my post. I am the sword in the darkness. I am the watcher on the walls. I am the shield that guards the realm of men. I pledge my life and honor to the night's watch. For this night, and all the nights to come. Hello and welcome to Still Watching Game of Thrones. I am Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. We are back for one of our biggest episodes yet. We are counting down the top 15 episodes of Game of Thrones when we were putting together this list. We knew there was no way we could do this without talking about Season 3, Episode 9, The Reigns of Castamere, written by Weiss and Benioff, directed by David Nutter. It's the episode of television that changed television forever. Uh, here's my 15-word recap. It goes like this. Edmer Tully gets married. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, here we go. This is, this is the episode that a lot of people filmed their friends watching. This is, I think, the last moment that book readers really, really had a hand up over, um, well, no, I guess, I guess Jon Snow getting stabbed was, uh, was something. And the purple wedding. Okay, fine. Fair. We, we still have a lot of things. But this was the big one that everyone was just like, wait till you get to this. You know, like, like this was, I I mean, I was certainly that asshole who was just like, Jesse, wait, you know. Exactly. And I think Weiss and, I mean, Weiss and Benioff have said as well, um, like everyone who worked on Game of Thrones said, like, we just wanted to see if we could get to the end of season three. And if we could pull that off, we felt like we could do anything. Um, and I really, I think you see a different kind of confidence from them starting in season four that they landed it. They did it. They stuck the landing. Um, this is, this is a tremendous episode of television. We're going to hand out a few awards before we talk about more of our thoughts on the episode. And then we've got an interview with the director of the episode, David Nutter. So stay tuned. But first, we are going to talk about, I'm going to say who my obvious MVP of this episode is. And it's a crowded field, actually. Uh, but I'm going to give it to David Bradley, who plays, so, uh, who plays Lord Walder Frey. Um, because uh, there's a lot of great Starks and other people in this episode, but you don't, it doesn't all come together unless you've got the right person like sneering from that chair, which he does from like start to finish in this episode. So, uh, 
David Bradley himself. What do you say, Richard? I would go Michelle Fairley, uh, yeah. who plays Catelyn Stark. Um, it's yeah. her final uh, performance uh, on the show, uh, and she, you know, was a, this part was originally going to be played by Jennifer Ely, who filmed the pilot, and then Jennifer Ely, for personal reasons, decided not to do the project. Michelle Fairley, an Irish theater actress, came on board, uh, and just, I mean, she's great throughout her three-season run, but, like, just so fucking fantastic in this last horrific scene. Um, and I love that the, it, that it centers on her in it, you know. Um, I think that it could have easily focused more on Rob, but I think having it be Catelyn, um, who's already suffered a, a number of great tragedies, um, I, I think is really smart. And Michelle Fairley carries it perfectly. They just, like, I don't know if Michelle Fairley either had a cold that day or just her voice was, like, raw from doing so many takes or whatever, but, like, it's just, she's just so done by the end of this episode. Yeah. Uh, she just leaves everything, everything out there. It's just incredible. We've, we've given a lot of love to Richard Madden, uh, over these episode rewatches and like much love to him in this episode too. But yeah, this is a Michelle, Michelle Fairley showstopper. She's so good. Um, my sneaky sort of dumb MVP from this episode is Will Champion from Coldplay, who plays one of the members of the band up in the rafters, uh, in, in the hall here at the Twins. Um, and I just like the, these early days, uh, before Ed Sheeran cameos when it was just like, Will Champion is a huge fan of the show and just wants to like be a random drummer, uh, when the Reigns of Castamere start playing. So there you go. Will Champion from Coldplay. Who's your sneaky MVP? Um, I don't know, like maybe Osha, um, who, you know, she's so sweet to Rick in, in, in this episode where, you know, because they have to make this really hard decision to separate the brothers, um, for, for Rick and safety. Uh, and I think that Osha plays such a crucial role in that. And, you know, I think that, that her role and that of the Dereeds, Jojen and, uh, his sister, Mira, Mira who, um, their roles in this, in this show kind of didn't quite take off the way that I'd hoped. Um, I think the reads are a little more interesting in the books, but, um, yeah, anyway, I, I think that like we haven't done much talking about the brand storyline, so I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, Natalie Tenya, who plays Osha, um, that's two Harry Potter actors, by the way, David Bradley and Natalie Tenya, uh, Tonks and I forget his character. Filch, name. right? Filch, yeah, Argus Filch, there you go. Um, are, uh, yeah, she's great. She's fantastic. She's so good. And the, and this is the episode where she's just like, no, I'm not going north of the wall. And she gives a whole speech about like the whites and what happened to her like old lover and stuff like that. And it's just, it's really incredible. So, uh, I, I, that's a, that's a really good nomination. All right. Here's the part where I like spin out disastrously trying to perform a quote and then Richard comes through with his, uh, drama kid credentials. But here's my, here's my best, um, Wilder Frey impression. I can always see what's going on beneath the dress. Cool. <laughs> uh, which is something he says to Talisa when he's like, I know you're pregnant. You can't hide it under a billowy dress. He's so disgusting. He also, like, in that same speech, he's like, I bet if you take that dress off, like, nothing moves even an inch. Like, he's just, he's disgusting and perfect. Uh, Richard, what's your, what's your quote from the episode? No more hodering. <laughs> It's just brand saying oh, no more hodering. A very good brand. Quote. Yeah. I loved it. That's um, cute. All right. And then um, we also want to give out a best dressed uh, award. I'm going to give this to Roose Bolton, who sensibly wore some chain mail underneath his wedding finery so that he could be ready for battle uh, at the Red Wedding. Who is your best dressed, Richard? 
I mean, that's a pretty good one. Um, I think that for, for going kind of, um, just kind of like simple cash at a wedding, Talisa looks pretty good in her, you know, sort of gray, just sack dress. Um, <laughs> I love, I love gray sack dress at a wedding. Well, like Talisa's trying so hard not to insult them. Like there's a part also where Rich, where, uh, Rob tries to kiss her and she's like, no, don't, let's not. Like, let's just not insult them so she's like trying to like show up as demure and like as possible and just sort of hang back you know um also shout out to uh ed muir's actual bride because she looks she she looks lovely that fray girl Uh, very very young though yeah well that's true it's gross all right uh ship who am i shipping in this episode which two characters do i want to be together in a romantic fashion in this episode um why not Dario and Jora? Like, let's just cut Daenerys out of this love triangle. Um, or maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm shipping a thruple, which is Dario, Jora, and Grey Worm as they like work together in perfect harmony to, uh, take, take the city, uh, of Yunkai for Daenerys. Uh, so that's my ship. How about you? I'm going to be kinky and say old Dario and new Dario. Because <laughs> this is, we got old Dario in this one. Yeah, original flavor Dario. It's screen, right? Yeah. Screen or screen. Um, I, I really like original flavor Dario. I have to say. It's a different like, take on the character. It's very different. And I think it's better. Like, or I just like it better as like this it's, kind of shitty guy that Daenerys is just interested in for a while, you know? It's less romance novel-y. Do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. feel like Mich- Michelle Huisman, like, he's good on the show and he's obviously very handsome, but, like, he's more of this kind of, like, sensitive, sort of soulful, um, you know, kind of type where I think this version of Dario is just kind of like a brute. Um, and I think that's kind of a more interesting thing. And I think probably given her, you know, her taste in men thus far is maybe more where Danny would go. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Michelle Huisman's take on it is, like, he's like a rake. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I think, uh, Ed Scrain's like, he's just slimier. Yeah. And for some reason, I like that about him. So, uh, yeah. So there we go. So, so this episode, I mean, like, what do you think, Richard, when people, when people say this, credit this episode with changing the TV landscape forever? How accurate do you think that is? What do you think about it? Uh, was so revolutionary. Well, I don't know that I can offer that much insight in terms of what it changed beyond its beyond the show itself, but like in solidifying this show as the must see thing on Sunday nights or whenever it aired in whatever country you live in, like it this episode solidified the show as like a global phenomenon, you know, um, as something that was merciless, that was uncompromising, that was going to you know completely upend our typical expectations of how lead characters in television shows are treated. Um, which they'd already done, arguably, in the first season with um, Ned, Ned's death that was very surprising at the time. But I think that maybe people thought, okay, that's the big hook. That's the first season surprise to get us all engaged, that they're not going to do that again. And they not only did it again, they did it with two main characters who'd been there since the very beginning, um, which is pretty significant. Um, and yeah, so I think in terms of, the, I mean, The Red Wedding is the most iconic, this is the most iconic episode of the show that they've ever been, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because, um, it feels so far away. (laughs) Like it feels so distant, but I, I don't think you have game of Thrones 
the global phenomenon without this episode, without this stake raising thing. The, the, the fact that I, you know, they could not have planned this, but the fact that a bunch of book readers taped their friends watching the episode and that that like kind of went viral, I think brought the TV show in front of a bunch of eyes that it wouldn't have ever been in front of for that reason. Like, like that's sort of when the like memification, I think, of Game of Thrones started. Um, I don't think you've got as much of that in season one, two, and three. Um, but like at the end of season three onward, then it sort of becomes even more part of the like online culture and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. And it's just, you know, it's, it's so well done. It's so like intimate character based. Um, Richard Madden, Michelle Fairley, Una Chaplin, all of them. And I mean, like you lose, you lose Rob. And you lose Catelyn, but you also just like, it's like the whole room gets slaughtered and all of those felt like good guys and all the good guys lost. And at the hands of Walder Frey, not even like, like Tywin Lannister pulling the strings, but like Walder Frey is this guy? Like a supposed ally too. Yeah. But like this, this like creepy old lech is the one that takes down Rob Stark who never lost a battle. And then you also get this, I think you get a closer tie between, um, frailty and like this, this feels like more of a Shakespearean sort of tragic fall than Ned Stark says, because like you can point out some things that Ned Stark does wrong in season one, but one of the most interesting things about his death in season one is like, not, I mean, like he overplayed his hand a little bit or he was too honorable, I guess you could say, like his honor was too rigid, like some of that stuff. He didn't play smart, you know, there are things you could say about, about Ned, but, but with Rob, it's just like even clear, like he died for love, basically, right? He fell in love or fell in lust and, and then he died for that. And it's funny because like, if you rewatch season three, there's so many times when Catelyn, when Michelle Fairley as Catelyn says like, this is not the wedding that Walter Frey wanted. Like, he wanted a king. He did not want my, my dumb brother Edmure. Thank you very much. Uh, shout out to Tobias Menzies, who's great in that role. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's an incredible piece of television. And then you get, yeah. and then you get, lastly, to, to cap all of that, you get this iconic piece of music, which we actually, you know, already got, uh, in Blackwater and, and various other places, but, it, you know, this is straight out of the book that the Reigns of Castamere starts playing. That's how, that's the Lannister calling card. That's how you know that the Lannister sort of orchestrated this. But like, for it to play over the credits and it's just like, this is it. Like, this is what's happened is, is like, anytime there's like a Ramin Javadi music cue that it forever sticks in you. Um, and this is one of those, you know. Yeah. I, I, I've seen this episode a few times and this is one of the few episodes I've like really rewatched of this show. And like, it still is so intense. And I watched it, I don't know, yesterday evening before recording and I was like bummed out for the rest of the night. <laughs> like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, no, I mean, it's, it, and it's just a funny way because it's such an affecting episode. And I think that for me, the way that it contains its dread where where Catelyn, she's like, oh my god, like, we're about to be killed, you know? And, like, she knows that there's something really she can do. She tries. But I think that, like, that's so chilling, you know, versus a sudden kind of thing. That, like, But, like, this kind of, like, dawning, like, comprehension of what's happening um, is just, like, so well done. It's just so beautifully directed. It's so tense. 
Um, the way that it's edited is perfect. It's just like, it's just striking television. And um, still, you know, all these years later, I think is very affecting personally. Um, all right. What about some of the other stuff that happens in this episode? Um, I always remember that, like talking about meme- memification, there's a piece of fan art that always uh, stuck with me from this episode. And it, it was, uh, excuse me, I described some fan art, but it's uh, Roose Bolton, Walter Frey and Tywin Lannister. And they're all like jumping in the air, cheering like, yay, we did it. Cause they like orchestrated the red wedding basically. And then you, uh, and then like there's a companion piece that is, uh, Jorah and Grey Worm and Dario going, "Yay, we did it!" Because they like uh, infiltrated Young Guy, and I just I don't know why it's always like stuck with me that it's like, oh yeah, this other thing also happens in this episode, like Young Guy happens or whatever, you know. Like you you think once again you can only like think of the wedding from start to finish, but there's all this stuff in Young Guy, as you mentioned. There's all this stuff with uh, Bran and and all of that. There's and then there's this huge stuff that happens with with John and Egret. So yeah, I I um, I, I yeah. like the um that that rainy scene where Bran and company are hiding up in the tower, and then the, the um the wildlings, including with John, are down at on the ground fighting, and um uh an oral played by Mackenzie Crook from The Office. Um, he like great. hears Hodor hodoring. Yeah. And looks up, you know, kind of in the rainy distance at this black window in this kind of supposedly abandoned tower. And just knowing that at that moment, Bran was right there and John was right there. And there's just the faint kind of like, it's just, I love when the books and when the, the show does that kind of eerie, just like moments of almost connection of sort of, you know, echoes heard throughout the, the this kind of vast landscape of like, you know, some, someone you might know or something. I just think I like, it's so eerie and, and really effectively done. Um, yeah, and obviously this is where John um, outs himself as a secret agent. Right. Um, he gets scratched up in the face uh, by Orel's uh, bird, and then um, it's astonishing to rewatch this and to watch Torment um, be so against John. You know, this is this is like Tormund is now like largely comic relief, but it's sort of interesting to remember his origins where he wasn't like he wasn't the the funny, weird ginger beard. He like he was he talked about fucking a bear, but like also he had much more menace to him, I think, when he was um in this position. And we find out that Bran can do that, that he can warg into Hodor, which is how Hodor dies. So, like, it's a really, it's a kind of cute, funny scene, like, hush, Hodor, no more. Hodoring is, like, a really fun little line, but this is, this is how Hodor dies, is Bran working into him. It's- and it also is an interesting introduction of what could be a really sinister aspect of Bran's ability, you know? Right. Like, yeah. it's not, it's, it's like that kind of, like, it's not just an animal now. It's like, you could, you could take over someone's consciousness kind of like in dollhouse or something absolutely and and to go back to what you said in terms of like these close call misconnections which the show does a lot more of i think than the book does um we also get aria you know and the hound arriving at the twins mm-hmm. um just not in time uh we get aria you know witnessing them killing the dire wolf we see uh we see Arya witness them killing the direwolf. We see like Rob with direwolf head on his body. It's just like it's all awful. So, um, 
yeah, these, these, these tragic misconnections. Um, and, you know, many, like, this is something, something we can say for the show. Many seasons later, we're getting the, these reunions, you know, that, that we had been wanting, um, the Stark family back together. So that's, that's a fun thing that we can experience, uh, for as long as any of them are alive, at least they're together now <laughs> in season eight. So there's that. Um, all right. Is there anything else we want to say about, about this episode? No, just that Walter Frey's a jerk and he shouldn't have done that to my rub. <laughs> well, he gets his eventually. Uh, yeah. Stay tuned for an interview with director David Nutter and also, uh, find out which episode we will be talking about next. I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. We're culture writers, podcasters, and hosts of the show Love to See It. Every week, we give an unapologetically feminist dissection of reality dating shows, rom-coms, and other romance narratives. We unpack all the weird messages they send us about love, sex, and dating. And we dive into all the details with special guests like actors, authors, and cultural critics. You can find Love to See It wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Tuesday. We are joined today by David Nutter, who has directed six episodes of Game of Thrones, including season three, episode nine, The Reigns of Castamere. He's also directed three episodes that's half of the final season of Game of Thrones. David Nutter, thank you so much for joining us. I, I wanted to start by asking you about, specifically about Reigns of Castamere, the challenges of filming a sequence that is so hard to reset in terms of like blood and gore what does that do to any sort of pressure on you to get it right the first take really the most important thing was the order of shooting and what i did was i shot it pretty much in order like for instance the last thing we shot was caitlin and her throat being slit and and rob uh, stark dying i think were the uh, most important moments for the people who worked on it because you know there was a big situation on the set where you know everyone loves these people so much you know if you're gonna have that kind of emotional set piece and everyone's feeling it as they're doing it i think if you're in the right right track do something very special but you know it, it all kind of started for me back in season two when i had directed my first episode for season two for them and david and Dan seemed to like what i did and they sort of talked to me about this they started to talk to me kind of uh, about this season three uh range of customer episode and, you know, that was, you know, the pressure of doing that, right, was very important. I was rewatching the episode with the commentary on where you're with Richard and Michelle, and they're both basically openly weeping um, as they record the commentary with you watching this episode. You've had to, you've filmed the final episode for so many actors over the years on Game of Thrones. Uh, was that the hardest of like a cast and crew goodbye or have there been harder days in terms of emotions running high? That was probably the, the toughest by far. We were doing a, a part of the sequence in which Rob goes over to his wife and she's bleeding to death and she crawls to her and then holds her in his arms and she passes. And it's a situation where as he looks down to her, I wanted to kind of hang, hold the camera there for a beat. So I started to say something about relationships and love and all that kind of stuff. And we, we had talked about this prior that he wanted me to kind of goose him a little bit. Before I called cut, I started to hear weeping behind him and the, the makeup and hair ladies were all... Uh, so into it that it was, uh, oh. it was quite moving. It was quite something. Another tough one was Jon Snow's death. That's a that's a perfect example of me 
not wanting to know what happens next. Right. The last thing I wanted to do was to, to, to consider that, which was important not to. So So as far as you were concerned when you were shooting that um, season five finale, you were like, this is it. Jon Snow is dead as far as I know, and I don't want to know anymore. Well, absolutely. I mean, I actually went to a, uh, right after we, we finished the episode and it aired, uh, I was at a, at a function at Democratic fundraiser and I met President Obama and he shook my hand with his right hand, put his left hand on my shoulder and said, uh, you didn't kill Jon Snow, did you? And I told him this yesterday, dead or the dead. Then he said, you uh, kill all my favorite characters. <laughs> You're like, no, as far as I knew, he was dead. I promise. Like, it- absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I even, I even did, they, they even asked me to do a, uh, on his last day of shooting before uh, on stage, which is his last day of shooting. Before, you know, they, they even basically had me do a little, uh, say goodbye to the crew kind of thing and, 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 and help, you know, and, and help him kind of do a big, you know, thank you so much for coming you know, for, you know, being great crews and work. This is one of the first crew really worked with and so forth. That was important. That was just crazy. So you filmed Kit Harrington like doing a heartfelt goodbye to the crew of Game of Thrones. Then you did not work on the series for season six and season seven. I had a, a surgery on my back. I'm so sorry to hear that and so glad you're feeling better. When you were recuperating in those seasons off, to, because you because you prefer not to know what's happening in the books or happening in future seasons, does that mean you watch the show just as a fan? That's exactly what I did. Yeah, completely. You know, the Battle of the Bastards. I mean, it was just such amazing shows over that, 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 that uh, came during my absence that I was like, oh my God, just to be part of that was so special. And uh, I, I did nothing but do as much physical therapy and taking care of myself and getting better as soon as I could so I could actually come back and, and play if, if I could. How did it feel when um, Dave, Dave and Dan are, are come to you and they say, not only do we want you to direct an episode in the final season, we want you to direct three episodes of the final season? Um, it was uh, it was like when you're in the ocean, you can't swim, and someone throws you a life jacket. It was really, you know, after having been out of uh, commission for a couple of years, you know, not completely, but partially with my back and so forth, it was really fantastic to be able to come back and do that and uh, get a chance to work with people that I care so much about. And and it was, the good thing was that I have a good relationship with the actors and the crew and so forth, and they were happy to have me back as well. So it was really a real, definitely a homecoming. It was really quite special. I actually, uh, in season six, where I had to, that's when I had to like say I couldn't come back. I scheduled to direct the Loot Train episode. And uh, I couldn't do it, but I, I did. Uh, I did go over Christmas uh, and visited them in, in Spain where they were shooting with my wife, who's from Austria. We went back to Austria for, for Christmas. And I said, "Well, if we're going to go see her family in Austria for Christmas, I'm going to see mine too in Spain." So we stopped by for four days, and uh, and it was really nice to get on the set. And people had, you know, they so many people was happy to see me and missed me and so forth, and gave me a lot of. Uh, strength to come back, and David Nance saw that I was doing better physically, and uh, they uh, started talking about coming back, which was really uh, an, inc- an incredible experience. And it really, it really, uh, it, I was so appreciative to be working and working on such amazing material. And uh, you know, a lot of times directors we don't enjoy what we're doing so much because we're so nervous about doing it right, and we, you know, I, I physically and emotionally beat myself up all the time and hoping that I did well or if I didn't know, you know, what, you know, all the different things you go through and trying to do a good, a good job creatively. But this time I got a chance to really enjoy what I was doing and appreciate it so much. It was, uh, 
I think some of the best work I've done. Wow, that's uh, that's honestly really that's incredible. I'm, I'm kind of overwhelmed by that. I I want to ask you for those of us who have followed the show really closely over the years. I think we're able to pick out certain writing and directorial styles. Like I could tell you what I think a Brian Cogman written episode is, or I could tell you what I think a Miguel Sapochnik directed episode is. What do you think a David Nutter episode of Game of Thrones is? I hope that when you watch an episode of mine, you become involved emotionally as quickly as possible because you want to, you want to, of course, peel the young and back as much as you can, whenever you can. The walk of shame was an important sequence that I directed that I really wanted. I think it's always important to put as much gray into black and white as possible because there are no bad guys and no good guys. It's all people who want certain things for themselves and are justified in getting it. So you want to, tr- you want to tr- give them that respect, which is important. I think to me, it's about finding always those, those different uh, notes and so forth, and different shades of, of, uh, colors that the audience can get to know the character better and become more affiliated with and also become a little more understanding of who they are. I think this is fair play to ask you about, but please tell me if it's not. The The trailer for season eight dropped yesterday. I'm assuming there's some footage you shot in there. You do not have to tell me what, um, but I'm just wondering you know, what it was like. And I know some of the, some of the stuff in the first episode has already been out there a few seconds of footage, but what is it like to have people see, you know, footage from the episodes that you shot for the final season of game of Thrones and, and all the reactions that happened uh, so far. Oh, it's very, very, extremely exciting. And, uh, and, uh, a lot of, a lot of stuff was mine. That was very excited about too. It was a lot of fun. It was really very, very cool. And I know that usually you you direct uh, final episodes of the season, but this you, you're doing the premiere. Um, that means you get a big splashy premiere at Radio City Music Hall. What does that feel like for you to have your first like your first big episode premiere? Truly nerve wracking, and it also makes me appreciate how wonderful what a good director Jeremy Pedes was because I think that he's he's been doing a lot of the opening episodes of the, of the seasons it puts a lot of pressure on me. But uh, you know, hopefully, I'll. Uh, It'll be okay. <laughs> Are you excited to go to the premiere? I can't wait to Joanna. It's been a situation where we've had a pretty rough uh, um, last uh, before Christmas. My wife is diagnosed with uh, stage four pancreatic cancer, and uh, oh, so she sorry. goes to and so forth, and she's feeling better. And uh, we all look forward to go as a family to this, and uh, it'll be really special. Oh, that'll be so great! I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, and I, I I wanted to close up by asking you, without spoiling a single drop of the final season, what are you most hoping people will get from this final season that you worked on? I know that the writers have have, have done this already, and and everyone else, but uh, I hope that they feel that you know because lots of times people watch shows and they get to the final few episodes, they get really disappointed in it where they take it, and I think that. Uh, Everyone on the show, especially Dave and Dan, basically have, have worked extremely hard to give us an ending, give us a finale, and give us a final season that uh, is worthy. Well, thank you so much. Um, thank you for your time, and thank you for sharing um, so much that you've been going through. I'm really, I'm really sorry to hear it. I've really so loved your work over the years on Game of Thrones. Thank you so much, Joanne. Thank you. All right, that is it for us. We do want to mention once again before we go, uh, in case you have not subscribed already, that you can go to 
vanityfair.com slash thrones and uh, put in the promo code thrones and you get 50% off Vanity Fair for a whole year. That's print, digital, tote bag, no paywall, vanityfair.com slash thrones, promo code thrones. Uh, get in there so you can read all of our Game of Thrones coverage. And what else will we be sending people, Richard? Now. I don't know what we're going to be sending people, but if you don't do it, we're going to kill your family at a wedding. So, so get on it. You got to do it. Uh, <laughs> in the meantime, until we until we return next time, where can people find you, Richard? And you know, just hodering around <laughs> on Twitter at Rylos. Where are you going to be? <laughs> well, obviously, I will be taking Yunkai from the back. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but also, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. Next week, we'll be back. We're into season four. We'll be talking about season four, episode one, Two Swords. So we will be back and we will see you then. Can't get enough of Bachelor Nation? Enter Betch's hilarious Bachelor recap podcast, The Bachelor. Each week, hosts Kay Brown and me, Jared Freed, recap the latest episodes of The Bachelor and make fun of all the ridiculous things the contestants say and do. Because honestly, why else watch the show if not for the fun commentary? Listeners have called The Bachelor the much-needed humor and commiseration they want after watching the show. Listen to The Bachelor podcast now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcast.